0: We will be in Matthew 5 in a moment, um, doing our last walk with the saints, St. Macarius. Who's heard of him? Really? I need to meet you later. (laughs) Um, So I just want to, though, I want to, I want to remind you guys before we get into this that the church has historically looked at Advent as the beginning of the new year. Which means that's in two weeks, two Sundays from now. That means that's the new year. And the reason I want to this year observe that is because I love the idea that we start the new year waiting for the coming of the Lord. Not with my resolutions, not with a me improvement project, but with waiting on the Lord who is my improvement project. <laughs> He's the one who can fix me. Um, so with that said... Um, when All Saints Day happened in November, uh, we've done now, this will be the third message on a saint, because partly, I want, I want to get to know some of these great, amazing people that I haven't really been able to know, apart from like obscure things here and there. So I've really enjoyed getting to know Job, the patient. Um, we went through his book, and then we did him. Um, and then St. Francis of Assisi last week. And um, man, some of the things you guys have been sharing about him has just been like, I guess we needed to hear that. And tonight, Saint Macarius the Great. Now, the reason we're doing this is not because we worship saints, and nor is it um, because one person asked, "Is like, is this a Catholic direction we're going?" And it's not. I mean, unless the Catholic Church is the only one that has saints, but they're they're not. They, the saints are just. Saints are people that we've recognized lived extraordinary lives that we can look to as examples, and they're in heaven, and they're alive with Christ. So um, I just wanted to make sure that was clear. Now, the other reason we're doing—excuse me, I'm excited—the other reason we have been doing this is because if Advent is the beginning of the church year, there's no better way than to end the church year with looking at our destination. So our prayers have been all oriented around the new Jerusalem and the eternal light to come. And we've been looking at some of the brothers and sisters we'll meet in that day. And it reminds us to, hey, we're going somewhere. Don't just sit. Christianity is not sitting in a waiting room. Just one day, everything will change. I'll just sit here. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a battlefield. It's a pushing and striving forward, running our race with endurance. So, um, okay, I just wanted to kind of. So that's where we are tonight. Um, So Matthew 5, St. Macarius the Great. Let's pray. I don't need to say any more because I already preached too long. So, God of hosts, your blessed saints who are now at rest overcame the world by your strength. So strengthen us to follow in their steps. And after this life, partake with them in your glory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Perhaps you've seen it online. It's the hashtag blessed. Have you seen this around? Now, maybe you've used it, and I would trust that maybe you're using it in a good way. But it is caught culture by Firestorm online, and everything is hashtag blessed these days. Um, Anything from a pumpkin latte to a job promotion to good friends to uh, incredible experiences, glorious sunsets. All these, just here it is in hashtag blessed. Um, Now, it is right and good to give God thanks for the enjoyments we have in this world and this life, obviously. But what's really happening in hashtag blessed is it's this boasting look how good my life is, look how picture perfect it is, masquerading as humility and gratitude. Look at my picture-perfect life, so blessed. But with that kind of happening in our culture, I'm forced to ask, what does it mean to be blessed in God's eyes? What does he mean when he says, blessed? So Jesus, in Matthew 5, posted, if you will, the original <laughs> hashtag blessed They go like this, Matthew 5, beginning in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those strike me as remarkably different (laughs) from the way culture uses the word blessed. Particularly the first three. Poverty in spirit, mourning over our sins, and meekness. The blessed life? Essentially, what Jesus... Culture says, look how good my life is. Hashtag blessed. But Christ is telling us, look how good I'm making you. Hashtag blessed. That's what he means by blessed. I'm putting the good life into you. In the kingdom of God, blessed is not what God gives to make us like ourselves more. More. Blessed is what God gives to make us more like him. But in culture, a blessing is those things that give us comfort or self-esteem. God is saying, no, sometimes I will do things that break you and hurt you because I want you to be more like me. St. Macarius, our guy tonight, last week we did St. Francis of Assisi, perhaps the most well-known, not necessarily well-known, but well-known name, and most loved saint of all of them. Tonight we're doing someone who's very obscure, and it, he is Macarius Mark, the Great. Um, his name, Macarius, means blessed. It's the actual Greek word that you read right here in the Beatitudes. So when Jesus is saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, he's saying, Macarius are the poor in spirit. Pretty cool. So here's here's the setting for St. Macarius. He's the 4th century. This is after Constantine converts to Christianity and the endless waves of persecution seem to have finally come to a standstill. Macarius is living in this time when people are asking, okay, we once had to be on edge all the time seeking Christ because at any moment we may be demanded to either give our life for him or deny him. But then everything becomes comfortable and convenient. And Christianity even becomes what all the cool kids are doing. And some people were asking this. This comes from Justo Gonzalez's um, wonderful book on church history. He puts it like this. When the whole society is intent on turning the narrow path into a wide avenue, how is one to resist the enormous temptations of the times? How is one to witness to the crucified Lord, to the one who had nowhere to lay his head at a time when many leaders of the church live in costly homes, and when the ultimate witness of martyrdom is no longer possible? How do you overcome Satan, who is constantly tempting the faithful with the new honors that society offers? Well, there was a group of people known as the Desert Fathers whose answer to these questions was, let's make life really hard by moving into the Egyptian wilderness, and there we will learn how to live suffering and giving ourselves for Christ. No comfort, extreme for Christ. So this started what we now know as monasticism. This was the monastic movement, and people and hordes were going out to the Egyptian wilderness to practice a Christianity that seemed more real to them than the comfort and prestige of the empire. That's the setting in which Macarius is born. So his birth, about 300 AD, he lived to 390, an old man, 90 years, is under what I would consider legendary circumstances So there will be some stories you hear about Macarius that you might think, that sounds like the fish that was this big became (laughs) this big. And that might be true here. But we must remember that in every story that's passed down, it started from something that was true. But so I think you'll pick up on what I'm catching on, especially at the very beginning of his birth. Often people would uh, look at the birth of special people as a special occurrence. So this is how at least the tradition of Macarius' birth goes. He was born in the Egyptian village of Shabshir, that's Upper Egypt, and his parents were named Abraham and Sarah. And would you know it, they had no children. But one night an angel came to Abraham and said, Abraham, you will have a son, and he will become well known to all the nations And he will have a multitude of spiritual sons. So, very shortly thereafter, Sarah conceives. And they name their son Blessed, Macarius. Now, he grew up pretty righteous, obeying his parents. Um, But there came a time when he came of age, and this was very common in the day, uh, his father had chosen a wife for him. He was betrothed. Now, Macarius did not want anything to do with marriage. He wanted to remain celibate. And a lot of people in those days wanted to be celibate because Paul was talking in 1 Corinthians 7 about if the Lord's coming soon, why bother in marriage? And so a lot of old Christians were choosing celibacy as a testimony and witness to the world that God is coming soon. Macarius wanted celibacy. So rather than get married, he feigned sickness. Laying in bed, working up a fever and pretending to be sick. And then one day, asking his dad if he can get some fresh air, he took a walk into the Egyptian desert. And there he had a vision. One of the cherubim comes down, grabs his hands and lifts him up to the top of a mountain. And there the cherubim shows him the entire Egyptian wilderness. And he says, I am giving all of this to your descendants. Carius doesn't really know what to do with that um but he comes back home and his betrothed wife dies well thank you lord i mean it's sad she's dead but whoa how did i got freed from that shortly after that his parents die and now he's inheriting a large sum Now totally free from any obligations, he chooses to sell his inheritance and all that he has to the poor and needy, and he moves outside of his village and lives in a raggedy old little hut, just big enough for him to sleep in and pray in. Well, soon, people began to admire the holy and pure Macarius, and they began to come out of the village to meet with him, to hear his wisdom, to have him pray over them, until one day an unmarried girl in the village got pregnant. And when her parents demanded to know what happened, she lied and said, Macarius, the nut in the hut out of the village, he's the father. And the village was livid. And so they grabbed Macarius they hang pots and broken wine jars around his neck so he's clanging as they parade him through really shove him through the village saying look what this monk did he is and they were they were berating him they were shaming him and they beat him nearly to death well in this episode macarius says not one word of defense about himself he silently endures this and then when the parents demand that he supports their daughter he complies he may have known what would happen if he had denied being the father that she would have been thrown out of the house and probably a really bad fate for her i don't know why makari said nothing and why he did this it might have been to save her and so he does And this is what he says. This is his own words, his account of it. He said this. um, I said to my mind, Macarius, see, you have found yourself a wife. You shall work a bit harder to support her. So the way he supported himself was he would weave baskets with all the reeds that were abundant in the Egyptian wilderness. He'd weave baskets. So he simply doubled his efforts and sold these baskets and gave all of what he got to this girl. Um, But when her time came to deliver the child, it was an exceptionally hard labor and the child wouldn't come out and it looked like she and the child were going to be lost and it was then that she confesses her lie and then the child came out. But when the village heard that she had lied, they could not believe they treated Macarius the way they did. They could not believe that he silently suffered and supported her through this whole time. They rushed out to his hut to praise him and to ask for his forgiveness. But Macarius would have none of it. And he instead ran into the desert, deep into the desert, and never returned. So that's how he got in the desert. He's now 30 years old. He's going to be in the desert for 60 years. Over his life, he would disciple more than 4,000 brothers. And remember what the angel told his parents. uh, You'd have many spiritual sons. He had 4,000 spiritual sons. And they were from all, many nations. Um, They were from Egypt, Greece, Ethiopia, Armenia, Nubia, Asia, Palestine, Italy, Gaul, and Spain. As far as Spain heard of Macarius the Great and came to be his disciple. Couple. Um, uh, he was he was nicknamed by his followers the aged youth because he was wiser beyond his years, and people flocked to him from all over because they wanted to soak in his wisdom. The aged youth, <laughs> an old soul in a young body. His character, um, we can see from. I'm going to share three brief stories that kind of give you an idea of what he was like in the wilderness. Oh, the first is the tunnel that he built. So when he would get super, oh, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe distressed at too many people coming to him. It would disturb his prayers and his peace and his seeking God. He would at times just need a reset. I totally understand this. So he, from his hut, dug a hundred-yard tunnel underground, that ended up in a cave, and there he would just crawl in, and he would then pray to God in the cave. If you're like, "Where's where Macarius?" No one would know where he is. That's like that's a true man cave, by the way, gentlemen. <laughs> you can tell your wife, "I'm praying in my man cave." You better not have football on, because that's not good prayer. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> Uh, His devotion, um, the closest church to where he and his disciples camped out was 40 miles away. So in order to worship at church and to receive communion, he walked 40 miles to church and then walked back 40 miles home. And some of us think, I'm just tired. I don't want to get in the car tonight. (laughs) He did this for 10 years until he was ordained a priest so that he could lead church in his own area. <laughs> That's a man right there. Um, then there's the story of the thief. One day he returned to his cell. Um, by the way, a cell is like a little hut. They just live so basically. It's just like a little like cardboard thing, if you will. And he returned to it and found a thief taking the little things he had uh, and loading them on his donkey. And he came and helped the thief load the donkey. <laughs> And then the donkey wouldn't get up under the master's commands. So Macarius realized what it was. He went back in his hut and found a little, spa- uh, a little hoe and brought it out to the thief and said, the camel wants this too. And put it on the camel and then said, camel, get up and go. And the camel got up and started going. But then a few yards down the way, the camel laid back down and would not budge until the thief unpacked everything and put it back in Macarius's <laughs> hut. That was wonderful. So you get an idea of some of like, just this, this, his quirky, nutty character. Um, he wrote, he, uh, he has, at least that we have in survive, that we, that we have passed down, that have survived. We have 50, um, they call them homilies back then, um, there. They're um, sermons, I guess. Um, he gave 50 spiritual homilies. That's what it's called. There's a collection. You can find it today and you can read them. 50 spiritual homilies. They're called spiritual homilies because they were not doctrinal. He was not trying to like, build a doctrine and make the people believe this. They were not controversial where he's like weighing in on the issues of the day. Nor were they political. Or nor were they expository. They weren't like he's taking a text and unpacking it. They were spiritual. This would be, in our language, this would be 50 sermons on how to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what he was about. And that's what his homilies are about. Here's one of the quotes. Now, back in the day, they were all super theological, so this is going to sound theological to you, but, to, but they always used it as a means, at least he did, as a means for having relationship with Christ. And so here's, here's one of them. Um, he said, The infinite, inaccessible, and uncreated God through his infinite and inconceivable kindness, embodies himself. And if I may say so, diminished himself from his inaccessible glory to make it possible for him to be united with his creatures, that they may be enabled to partake in the life of the Godhead. So when he talks about the mysteries of Jesus becoming man, his aim is not, well, this is how it works to have two natures in one person. No, his aim is he did this so that he could pull the humans up to God with him. And we can partake in the divine nature, as 2 Peter 1.4 says. He, I was first introduced to Macarius the Great through his evening prayer. And it goes like this. O eternal God, King of all creation, who hath granted me to attain to this hour, Forgive me the sins which I have committed this day in thought, word, and deed. And cleanse, O Lord, my humble soul from every stain of flesh and spirit. Grant me, O Lord, to pass through the sleep of this night in peace, that when I rise from my bed, I may please your holy name all the days of my life and conquer the enemies, both visible and invisible, that contend against me. Deliver me, O Lord, from the vain thoughts that stain me and from evil desires. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. On the day he died, around 390, um, he was a disciple of St. Anthony the Great, who's considered the first one that went into the wilderness. He, um, on the day he died, he saw St. Anthony appear to him who had already died before him, and surrounded by a bunch of other saints in glory. And it was, it was like, like that hint, Macarius, you're coming home. And then he died later that day. He lived, I would say, from what I saw of him, a truly blessed life. Not hashtag blessed, but a truly blessed life. So much so that people sought him from around the world. People would go and live in these crazy conditions in the middle of the desert without air conditioning, mind you. This isn't Arizona, okay? This is not modern Arizona. This is Arizona, like, freestyle. <laughs> because they recognized that he lived what his name meant. Macarius was blessed. But remember, he wasn't blessed because God gave him these things so that he could like himself more. Rather, he was blessed because of what God gave him to make him more like Christ. And he received the circumstances of life like being falsely accused of impregnating a young girl in the village and saw that as something Christ was leading him to to share in his sufferings and become more like him. Macarius embodied the Beatitudes. And and like St. Francis, whom we looked at last week, uh, a lot of that we could say, wow, Francis was admirable in what he did. But Macarius is admirable in who he was. In the stories I will share and what you've heard so far, he didn't actually do anything other than go into the wilderness and people followed him. Like, everything sort of happened to him. He was accused, and he just chose to take it. It's not like he went and wrestled with pagans and conquered the world and built these churches and these missionary movements. Like, he didn't do much. He was blessed because of who he was. He entered into the blessings of the Lord. So, um, remember that the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, these are the... This is the word Macarius. Now, Macarius, blessed. This is not a condition. God is not, Jesus is not saying, well, if you're pure in heart, then you'll see God. Like, in other words, you do this to be blessed. That's not what Jesus is saying. Macarius is not a condition. Macarius is an invitation. It says, if you want to share and cooperate in God's grace and in his nature, this is what is blessed. It is blessed to be pure in heart because you are sharing in God's own life. That's what the Beatitudes are. So it's not, uh, yeah, so yeah, it's just basically becoming pure in heart and so forth. That, that would be considered the blessing. So what I want to do to finish this is I want to go through each of these eight Beatitudes and share a story or a saying from Macarius that reflects each of these beatitudes so that we can get to see at least um, to a degree how these work in his life. Poverty of spirit. Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So it is said that Macarius never ate or drank or slept as much as nature required. He was like just under Sus, su, su, sustenance you know what i'm saying um, it's important to know though that he didn't live this way to gain merit like that he he did not have the viewpoint of i'm doing this lord so that you will love me so that i will earn my salvation rather he did this because he recognized the wicked pride in his heart and that unless he doesn't do something severe He would be too proud. This was his way of humbling himself. One story recounts that a demon once told him, There is only one thing in which I cannot exceed you, O Macarius. It's not in fasting, for I never eat. It's not in vigils, for I never sleep. But you conquer me by your humility. Nothing we do makes the demons shudder, maybe prayer, <laughs> but <laughs> humility, they don't know humility. Pride is why they are where they are. Macarius taught this. This is the mark of Christianity. However much a man toils and however many righteousnesses he performs to feel that he has done nothing and in fasting to say, this is not fasting. That's Christianity. No matter what you do, you just at the end look at it and say, this isn't righteousness. This isn't fasting. I haven't even begun. And in praying to say, this is not prayer. And in perseverance at prayer to say, I have shown no perseverance. I am only just beginning to practice and to take pains. And even if he is righteous before God, he should say, I am not righteous, not I. I do not take pains, but only make a beginning every day. (laughs) So as he's barely eating, barely sleeping, barely drinking, he is saying, this isn't humility, i 'm just starting the path toward where I need to be and i 'm looking i 'm going, you're a nut, you 're an absolute nut, and you 're just like i 'm just on the beginning. Second, um, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Um, the early church writers all interpreted this verse as mourning or sin it 's not necessarily grief that you go through over the loss of someone it's it's mourning or sin it's this, because if you 're poor in spirit you 're going to look. At your sin and mourn and grieve that, and we see this in Macarius. Uh, This story—I don't know why. Like when you hear of how great this guy is, this one, like I can't believe he was hung up on this one. And I think, oh Lord, he—he was—he was was more affable with people who would want to discuss his failures than people who would want to discuss his greatness. He just, he clammed up when they did that. But when they spoke of his failures, he was affable. And he would always relate this story. Sorry, that was long in coming, but here's the story. When I was a boy, this is his words. When I was a boy, I was tending calves with the other boys. They went to steal figs. And as they ran, they dropped one and I ate it. And when I remember it, I sit and I weep. Have you ever wept over a sin? goodness, and have you ever wept over a sin of your youth, like eating one fig? That's how you mourn your sin. You see it as God sees it, and you say, I can't believe that I betray him like this in my life, every day of my life. The third beatitude, blessed are those, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, Meekness is not a word we use anymore, but it, not very often, but it, it basically refers to mastery over one's self, primarily their impulses. Um, Marcarius was known to be immune to praise from others. Like, you would flatter him all day, and his meekness was such that it would unmove him. It just wouldn't move him at all. You could condemn him. It wouldn't move him. That was this meekness he possessed. Uh, He tells, there's a story in which a youth came to him seeking wisdom. And Markarius said, all right, I want you to go to the cemetery and I want you to curse all the dead there. The youth comes back and says, I did what you say. He said, Markarius said, what did they say? And the youth said, nothing. He said, okay, I want you to go again. And this time I want you to praise and flatter the dead. The youth goes and prays and flatters the dead. He comes back. Says I did what you said. Markarius says, "What did they say?" The youth said nothing, and then Markarius said, "This: become dead like them, and learn to be moved neither by insults nor by flatteries." I like that. I need that because some people are not nice to pastors, (laughs) but many are very nice. I can't, don't want to shun that. Um, like when Nacelle did that wonderful pastor's appreciation night a month or so ago, Lord, make me like the dead that I am not moved by this praise. That was trying. That was trying. Don't worry, I get plenty of non-praise in between that it balances out. Um, Number four, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And in there is always implied not hungering and thirsting after the things of this world. Now, of course, it's okay. We've got to eat. We've we, we got to have enjoyment in life. But remember, Ecclesiastes told us, enjoy the gifts of life. <clears throat> but our hunger should be that for the kingdom of God, his righteousness. Um, Marcarius desired God more than food and drink, you would probably guess. It is said that he spent most of his time in a trance-like state, communing with God. So sometimes you might have to get his attention twice because he's just focused. Um, one of his disciples, um, St. Evagrius, the solitary, whom I've quoted here many, uh, a few times, um, he recounted this moment with St. Macarius. He said, when I first met the Holy Father Macarius, it was the very height of noon, meaning very hot. And I asked for water and Macarius replied, be content with the shade. There are many, there are many traveling right now who don't even have that. When discussing spiritual disciplines, he said, "Be of good cheer, be of good cor- be of good courage, my child. For twenty years without break, I have never had as much food or drink or sleep as I liked. My bread I have eaten by weight, and my water I have drank by measure. And I have snatched a little sleep, leaning against the wall. Sorry, I love sleep too much." Now, the reason they didn't sleep um, partly is because the vigils were part of just staying up and praising God through the night. And also just, um, I don't want to pamper my body is the idea. Now, some of us don't get enough sleep and we can pamper ourselves. Or we pamper ourselves by being so busy we don't sleep. Or watching so much TV we don't sleep. <laughs> you can pamper, maybe you can, you know... Discipline your soul by actually sleeping. Anyways, that could work differently for different people. But that's crazy. I snatched a little sleep leaning against a wall. What? Marcarius also taught that the soul, the soul that really loves God in Christ, though it may do 10,000 righteousnesses, esteems itself as having wrought nothing by reason of its insatiable aspiration after God. Like, think about if God is infinite and eternal and the creator, there is absolutely no limit of seeking him and reaching for him that suddenly says, oh, that's enough. Because you can't scratch the surface of eternity. He's eternal. And he's like, no matter, he's giving his whole life, snatching a little sleep living, leaning against the wall. And he's like, I haven't even started hungry and thirsting after God. He continues, though it should exhaust the body with fastings, with watchings, its attitude towards the virtues is as if it had not yet even begun to labor for them. He hungered and thirsted after righteousness. Number five, blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I love this story. Macarius was responsible for bringing many pagans to Christianity. And, um, There's one story, and that's that's particularly because of the mercy that he would show them, unusual kindness and mercy. There's one story where he was walking in the desert with a younger disciple, and they came across a pagan priest. And the younger disciple said, That's right, run away, you devil. And then Macarius said instead, Salvation to you, weary one. And then the priest stopped. And he said, What good do you see in me to greet me so kindly? Macarius answered, Because I saw you tired, and you do not know that your labor is in vain. To which the priest fell down at Macarius' feet, clung to them, and said, I will not let go until you make me a Christian. Macarius won unbelievers through his mercy. Number 6, blessed are the pu- pure in heart for they shall see God. Um Macarius taught as we know that Christianity is not an outward form. Of course, when Christianity is getting popular in the empire, many people just start doing the Christian thing. And he taught, no, no, Christianity's got to be when you're resting in God and receiving his peace by the holy spirit in your heart. Like it's an inside job. Not just going through the motions or looking Christian on the outside. Um, he was also very much aware that people could look Christian on the outside, but inside their heart is absolutely no different than people in the world. So he would teach this. Um, this is from one of his homilies. I, I snatched a couple of lines and put them together. So you can get an idea of like the repetitive way he was saying this. He said, whatever a man has loved in the world weighs down his mind and holds it down and will not let him come up. Whatever a man has loved in the world weighs down his mind and holds it down and will not let him come up. I must have typed that twice in a row. Oh, well, there was another line, but I, yeah, okay. But you got the idea. That which we love is, is... holding us down so the heart is one seeking after purity it's where our outside and inside are matched by a love for christ and not marred by a love for the things of the world always lifting ourselves up to him that's why we see god with the pure in heart because we're not weighed down number seven blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of god um all we need to say is we already told this story when he was accused of impregnating that young girl that was the path of the peacemaker he didn't rip off the pots and fight his way out of that mob and say, You're all liars! I'm in it. I'm a holy man! You've come to me for... Like, he didn't do any of that. Instead, he sought to make things better for those around him. That's, that's like, when we talk about peacemaking, we don't mean peacekeeping. That's how most of us can like, think of it. Like, oh, just keep the peace. I'm a peacemaker. No, no. You're just not rocking the boat. <laughs> A peacemaker is someone who does what Macarius did. It's what Christ did on the cross, bringing peace between divinity and humanity. And that took suffering. That's why the peacemakers are called the children of God. And then finally, blessed are the persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You guys might remember this when we um, looked at the Trinity right after Pentecost. Um, There was, you might remember that... um, false teaching that was going around in the 4th century called Arianism. It was in Alexandria, Egypt, so this is right in like Macarius' hometown. Um, Macarius, along with Athanasius, were very vocal in fighting for the fact that Christ was co-eternal with the Father, because Arianism said that he was not. There was a time when the Son was not, and there was a time when he was created as the first of God's creatures. That's what they were battling against. Marcarius and Athanasius were very vocal about this. Well, Athanasius dies, one of the main champs for this, and then um, a new emperor comes on the throne, and this emperor happened to be an Arian. So he decided to uh, round up all those who fought so valiantly at the Council of Nicaea for the true belief that Christ was eternal. Uh, Marcarius was one of them. And he rounded up the other Marcarius on the other side of Egypt. There were two at the time. He was called Alex- uh, Marcarius of Alexandria. He, he round them up and threw them on a remote island in the, in the Delta Nile. And there on that little island, they were thrust. And the story says that when they were thrust on that island in exile, the demons were in a panic. Because this is a totally pagan island. The demons were in a panic and were in terror that the great Macarius times two is here. And so what happens is the demons lay hold of and possess the daughter of the priest of the island. And she becomes inconsolably possessed. She's throwing furniture around. She cannot be tamed. She cannot be controlled. She cannot be silenced. And the whole time she's screaming, "Why have you come here to get rid of us?" Well, both Macariuses have no problem casting this demon out. And when they when the when all the pagans of the island see the power of the god of Macarius, they all become Christians, including the priest they tear down their idols and they transform the temple into a church. And Macarius and Macarius uh, baptized them and teach them the ways of Christianity. And when, this, when word of this got to the emperor, he said, what have I done? I am making things worse by exiling them. So he returned them back to their monasteries in the Egyptian wilderness, where he's like, at least they're out of sight a little bit. <laughs> but indeed, blessed are the persecuted as these as Macarius was. Um, that evil turned into a great good for the gospel. And so we see that Macarius in his life embodied the Beatitudes. He was one who was truly blessed. He, if he had social media, was not saying, look at my hut, solitude, so blessed. He was not like, wow, Egyptian sunset, blessed. That was not his way. Oh, I was falsely accused. Everyone's coming to praise me, so blessed. Blessed. He was blessed not because he looked at all these things that God gave him to make himself like himself more. He was blessed because everything God gave him, he saw as a means to become more like Christ. That is what the Beatitudes and Macarius show us. The truly blessed life does not seek from circumstances comfort the truly blessed life seeks from circumstances Christ and how the circumstance is a tool for Christ likeness. And when we choose that path, we can hashtag truly blessed or maybe be super biblical and say Macarius. Lord, we give all glory and honor and praise to you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.